Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. So thrilled to be back in the studio this week with uh, a wonderful woman who's local to the Philadelphia area. Her name is Sherry Morrison, and Sherry is the Director of Sales, Marketing, and Events for Caramore Estate Wines and Vineyard um, in Bluebell here. And we're going to be hearing from Sherry in just a moment. She also um, launched and sold her own company, um, which sold back in 2013. So we have a lot to talk about with Sherry. Um, In the meantime, be sure to stay with us during our breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors bringing you all kinds of great information uh, in health, finance, technology, and business. And to stay in the loop on all things Women to Watch, be sure to visit us at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And please subscribe to our newsletter. Um, You can pick up the podcast there and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well at womentowatch.net. So now, without any further ado, Sherry, great to have you with me in the studio. Thank you, Sue. I'm thrilled and honored to be here. This is a real pleasure. Thank you. Um, I think your story is is uh, impressive and inspirational for a lot of reasons. And I want to give our listeners um, a sense of you as the young Sherry and where you came from, as we always do. And uh, so I'll share that you were the youngest of two girls uh, growing up outside of Philadelphia, and your family, as I've read, seemed to have a very creative flair, um, or gene, I should say, going through. Um, tell us, tell me, first of all, what age were you when you kind of recognized the fact that you really were being pulled more towards the creative field than, than business? Uh, probably in eighth or ninth grade. Uh, I went to uh, Germantown Academy, and one of my girlfriend's mother had a catering business, and uh, 
I she always needed help on weekends, so I started working with her on weekends and I enjoyed not only the serving and everything for the different events that she was having, but I enjoyed helping putting the platters together and and work with the food. Yeah. Would you say, you know, when I think about when we're children and and we're asked by adults and parents, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? um, There's often a parent that's kind of trying to guide us in a different direction or a certain direction, I should say. And your father really was a true Renaissance man, I'll say, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and a very influential in your life. Um, so tell us the story about when you told him that you were going to go to the Culinary Institute of America uh, and follow that path rather than a traditional business Okay, position. well, uh, not a pretty story necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I was attending William & Mary. I was a business major. Uh, and um, I played hockey and lacrosse while I was there. I always loved sports. That was most important to me in most of my school time. Um, and when I, after my freshman year at William & Mary, I kind of, you know, they ask you again if about your major. And, and I really wasn't thrilled about being a business major there. They And having worked in the food industry, with my girlfriend's mother, I really enjoyed that. And I, I thought that might be a good direction to go. And um, so I started thinking about culinary school. And, and uh, I told my dad, I we were on vacation after my freshman year. And we had all of my things to take me back to William & Mary after vacation. And I said, while we were there, I, I don't want to go back. And he said that that was crazy. Like, I had to go back. And I said, no, I, I want to go to the Culinary Institute. And um yeah, I, I I broke his heart. He was very <laughs> upset. Uh, it wasn't a, a pleasant ride back from the Outer Banks to oh uh, Williamsburg. That's a long ride. That was a long ride. And when we got there, all of my my roommates for the year were there. And he did his best to take them aside and try and get them to convince me to stay. Wow. Yeah. that's That takes a lot of guts. My guess is you were kind of fretting that conversation and, and waiting for the right moment to tell him. Absolutely. He was very strict. Um, and But I, I think part of why we got along so well was uh, he, he didn't intimidate me. So I, was, I would always stand up to him. And it, it led to some probably not the best conversations. And he always thought that if he said black, I said white. But, um, you know, I, I usually knew what I wanted yeah. and, and went after it. That, that's a really good lesson, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say perhaps you have some of your grandmother in you. And, you know, in reading over some of the information you forwarded, one of the things I loved that popped out to me was not only that your grandmother had her own business with your grandfather, because back in those days, that was unusual, um, but she also rode her motorcycle to work. <laughs> <laughs> Every day from the suburbs of Philadelphia to to downtown. Um, Tell me about your grandma. Yeah, she was a great influence. Um, Very hardworking. My grandfather was an alcoholic, and uh, they started this business down in Philadelphia. They lived up in North Wales area of, you know, the suburbs. And she had a couple motorcycles. She had an Indian and a BMW and and the leathers. She used to get dressed up in her leathers uh, to drive down every day. But anyway, um, very hard worker. We used to stay at the house when I was little. My parents used to do a little bit of traveling with my father's business. And um, 
when we were staying there, I would, she was, she always had a pot of uh, chicken on the stove and uh, she would be down in the kitchen, big kitchen table with all of her papers spread out around the table. And uh, I would walk down from the upstairs where I was supposed to be sleeping and kind of see what she was doing and help her pick the chicken while she was working on her paperwork. So, uh, yeah, but she quite a work ethic. Yeah. Um, well, you called her HQ. And, yeah. The, her, our nickname, <laughs> my grandfather was the fun person of the two of them. And always we always had something planned, kind of pranks, not pranks, but um hikes and things that didn't really go along with what she thought we should be doing. And um, yeah, so he used to say, don't tell HQ, but at four o'clock in the morning, we're going to get up and go for a hike. At HQ being? <laughs> Grand- headquarters. Headquarters. There headquarters you go. for grandmom. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, we're going to go into our first break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your um, experience in sports and athletics and how that influenced you. Stay with us for Dawn Zier of Nutrisystem for our CEO Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, CEO Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here with today's CEO Watch. Today, I want to talk about one of the most important roles those of us in the C-suite have, and that is to drive effectiveness by removing barriers for others and setting the team up for success. No matter what job you've had, whether it was your first job out of school or in your current leadership position, I'm sure that at one point in time, you've run into a barrier that has prevented you from being successful. A few of the things that leaders can do to help remove barriers within their organization are, one, set priorities, communicate top-down what's important and where the focus should be, remove distractions. Two, make sure that there are clear roles and accountabilities within the team. Everyone on the team should know their part and be held accountable. Also, track against a timeline that has clear deliverables. There should be a forum where progress is regularly measured and potential roadblocks and delays are discussed. Three, be aware of bottlenecks. If everything has to flow through one person, that person, no matter how good they are, is likely to become a bottleneck during crunch time. Identify these areas of blockage and rethink the process. Four, don't be the leader that has to approve everything. Empower the team to make decisions and have an escalation process in place if needed. An effective escalation process requires that the parties in conflict talk out the issue first and then come to the decision maker together for resolution. Don't allow triangulation. And five, post-mortem initiatives. As a team, analyze what went well and what did not to make the process smoother going forward. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, create a collegial environment that encourages colleagues to get to know each other in less formal settings. Creating interactions that allow the team to interact at a personal level or through team-building exercises builds and reinforces trust and accountability to one another and enables colleagues to feel valued, respected, and partner better. Thanks, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. 
If you're just joining us this evening, I'm having a wonderful conversation with Sherry Morrison, who is the Director of Sales, Marketing, and Events for Caramore Estate Wines. I should mention as well that Sherry has... um, been involved in multiple startups, um, all in the food and beverage industry um, after graduating from the Culinary Institute of America. Um, I wanted to go back just for a second because when I read all of the activities or athletics, I should say, that you were involved in in high school, um, very impressed because I was not an athlete. <laughs> um, you played field hockey, you were a swimmer, diving, uh, winter track, and lacrosse. Yeah, That's a lot. I did just about everything you could imagine. I didn't like to sit still. Yeah. Uh, I Every once in a while on a rainy day, I wake up and I feel bad for what I put my mother through on a rainy day. Mm. Because if I couldn't go out, I think she probably, she used to come in the bedroom every morning and open up the drapes and, you know, kind of give me a little weather report. And when it was raining, she knew that, that I was probably going to be home most of the day and in the house and in her hair. <laughs> and she probably dreaded it. <laughs> so she was very happy that I was involved in a lot of sports and stayed after school and, and was very active. Um, but I, I loved it. I, I loved the camaraderie and being a part of a team. Um, did it I, build your confidence, you know, as a girl? It absolutely did. Yeah. It, it really, really did. And, you know, I was kind of a jack of all trades, maybe master of none. Um, and I, and I did pretty well at high school level and then went off to college level and, and was sort of requested to come to William & Mary um, for hockey and lacrosse, and they wanted me to swim. And my father was like, you know, you really should consider studying at some point while you're there. Um, <laughs> three sports is a lot. So I, right. yeah. I, uh, I stuck with the hockey and lacrosse while I was there. But, um, yeah, it gave you uh, an opportunity to um, be a leader and set examples and work hard and um, and even outside of the school time that we that we uh, practiced and everything I always practiced at home and my father was a big part of that as well you know we would stand out in the front yard and and uh, have a catch he would have his baseball glove and I'd have my lacrosse stick or hockey stick and um, and he had a golf cage that he built in the backyard and I would use that as my as my um, goal yeah. So, yeah, always practicing, always practice, practicing, practice, practice. And, and, and drive, you know, Sherry, when I think of you and, and, and learn more and more about your life story, there's a, there's a drive within you, personal, professional. I wonder if you can tap into where that came from. Again, I, I think that was probably a result of family, um, experiences. Um, my dad, probably a lot of it, um, he did everything at home, you know, fixed everything himself. We rarely had a, a handyman come in to fix equipment. And if they did, he usually had a a, um, a tool, a tape recorder oh. going, if yeah. not a video camera. And you knew that while that fix-it man was there and yeah. he had that tape recorder taping everything that that man was saying, wow. that that man would not be back again. <laughs> <laughs> So you so, were, yeah, you were, I mean, and your dad was involved in a lot of different things. His main um, He was in the was, Air Force. He was in the Air Force. He was a pilot. But um, didn't he have a printing company? He had a typography company down okay. at the corner of 11th and Arch Street right. that he started working for when he was 13. The owner lived out in Gwynedd Valley. They were neighbors. And he started taking the train in or riding it to work with uh, Mr. Dalton. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually, after the Air Force, uh, became the, one of the owners. Um, and, um, 
Yeah. So he's always worked very hard, even on weekends when he had that company. He would do a lot of aerial photography. Mm -hmm. Um, He used to do a lot of photography of the bridges up in New York with the Moran um, Tugboat Company. Uh, He worked in the pits in the race car races, you know, around the Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland area. So we would jump in the little plane, which was unusual, you know, to have access to something like that. We would jump in our little Cessna and fly to a race somewhere, and then he would go work in the pits. So we were always on the go somewhere, but it wasn't always relaxing. You know, he always had a a toolbox or or something that he was going to put on or work with while we were there. Wow. So busy. Just a busy, busy busy guy. Yeah. Um, Let's go to when you graduated the Culinary Institute, and what was the first job out of school? Uh, let's see. When I first graduated, I moved to North Jersey and, um, I worked in a number of country clubs, um, just in the kitchen. I was always in the kitchen at first. Right. Were you, and and then once I left the kitchen, I never went back. (laughs) (laughs) As far as, you know, cooking on the lines of restaurants, that was never my forte. Yeah. I loved recipe development. I loved presentation. I loved interacting with people out front and being the front person. Um, I've I've always enjoyed putting operations, putting things together, um, and the mm, not just not just presentation, but making things were run efficiently, and you were getting the biggest bang out of it from your buck. Yeah, and I still do that when I plan events. Like right. I want to make sure that the people that I'm planning events for get the most out of of what they're putting into it. So it's interesting. You you really encompassed all of that when you launched Culinary Crossing, mm-hmm. which was your company. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are, as you mentioned, doing that today with Caramore Estates. Let's talk about Culinary Crossing and how that came to be. I love the story of uh, a gentleman, a customer who came into your cafe um, and commented about the soup. Yeah. So that customer used to come in a lot was uh, Jim Gennardi, senior member of the Gennardi family, the five brothers who... Um, we're the second generation of Gennardi Markets. And uh, he would come in every morning and drink coffee and eat something that we had baked there and watch me make soup every day, and I'd make 40 gallons. And after three or four years, he said, where are you selling all of the soup and how much are you making? And I'd say 40 gallons, and you know I, I make that every day. And he'd say, you sell 40 gallons a day? You only have 10 seats here. And it was like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a lot of that's soup. true, but, but I do sell it. We would do about 200 lunches and 40 or 50 dinners a night. So we would go through it and grab and go, way ahead of our time with grab and go. Grab and go. Yeah. Listen, I, I want to hear the rest of this story. We're going to go into another break. When we come back, we'll hear more of uh, Sherry's story of uh, launching Culinary Crossing. Stay with us for Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie for your health watch and Terry and Maggie for finance. Now, the women to watch. Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Diverticulosis, very common condition. Food travels from esophagus into the stomach, a small pouch that churns your food into small pieces. When food enters long loops of small intestine, you absorb molecules of protein, fat, and carbs. The leftovers or waste then travel to the large intestine or colon. Your colon's a trash compactor, a muscular tube that packages waste into neat cargo and ships it out. Some people develop little pouches or stretch marks in the colon called diverticula, more common with age, about 60% or over age 60. Some people never have symptoms, others develop ones of several complications. A single diverticulum can bleed heavily. Four to 15% of patients develop diverticulitis, 
A single pouch becomes inflamed, usually clears with antibiotic pills, but if left untreated, the bowel can form an abscess, blockage, or even perforate. That means tear open. Risk factors? A large study shows higher risk in men who are overweight, lacked physical activity, or smoked, and in those with a diet high in fat and low in fiber. Think about it. Low fiber, your colon works harder. It has to bench press to send the stool out. Pressure builds up, pouches form. Picture a musician like Dizzy Gillespie puffing his cheeks out to play the trumpet. For years, people avoided tomatoes, cucumbers. They thought seeds would trap bacteria in these pouches. A study from 2008 shows no increase in diverticulitis when eating nuts, seeds, corn, or popcorn. A study this month in the American Journal of Gastroenterology says fiber from cereals and fruits, especially apples and pears, associated with a decreased risk in diverticulitis in a large group of women. Fiber may decrease pressure or decrease inflammation from obesity, female hormones, or certain gut bacteria. More studies to be done. In the meantime, divas, remember what they say about an apple a day. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth and you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry, and this is Maggie, and we're from Fortis Wealth. September is Life Insurance Awareness Month. Naming a beneficiary for your life insurance policy sounds simple, but it can be tricky and create problems for the people you leave behind. Here are some common mistakes to avoid. First, naming a minor child as beneficiary is not a good idea, as they can't receive the proceeds directly. Without a trust or other legal arrangements for someone to manage the money, the court will appoint a guardian to handle the proceeds until the child reaches 18 or 21, depending on the state. Even naming young adult children as beneficiaries might not be wise, as they may not be mature enough to handle a huge influx of cash. Consider a trust with specifics on how the money can be released and what it can be used for until the young adult reaches a certain age. If you have a lifelong dependent, such as a child with special needs, as beneficiary, it can make them ineligible for government assistance. Anyone who receives a gift or inheritance of more than $2,000 will be disqualified under federal law for supplemental security income and Medicaid. Work with an attorney to set up a special needs trust with a trustee to manage the money for the dependent's benefit. And be aware that if the only named beneficiary predeceases you, the benefits will typically go into your estate and are subject to probate. That can lead to a delay for the payout and it exposes the proceeds to creditors' claims. Advisors recommend naming secondary or contingent and final beneficiaries. It's good practice to review your policy every three years and after major life events, such as marriage, having children, or divorcing, and updating the beneficiaries as needed. And remember that life insurance money will be paid to the beneficiary listed on the policy, regardless of what your will may say. 
finally, let your beneficiaries know about your policies to save your family from potential chaos and from never claiming a benefit they didn't know they had. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm talking to Sherry Morrison, the Director of Sales, Marketing, and Events for Caramore State Wines. And just before the break, we, I had asked Sherry about uh, really her the launch of Culinary Crossing and your entrepreneurial story, which I love those, you know, how they come to be. It's usually just a moment. So take it from, you know, the, the customer, uh, Mr. Gennardi, coming in as a customer. Yeah. So he was amazed that we went through so much soup. And he said to me, you know, I, I'd like to bring my nephew in, who was president of Gennardi Supermarkets at the time. And um, so he did. And, and they asked if we would be interested in in making soups for their stores and selling them on consignment, meaning, you know, if it didn't sell, we would have to take it out. So it sounded like a great challenge to me. Um, <laughs> what and, year was that? Uh, that was in 1983, 1984. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, 94. 94. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we started. We started making um, soups for their St. David's store, which was the flagship at the time, the first one with the food court. And... Uh, I was I was making soups every day, and my husband Dan and I were partners, and he would deliver them every day, and uh, we we were having troubles keeping up with production. Did you um, make that in the, at night, the night before, or I would wake make up it early every, in the morning? I would make it. We would usually start around five or six o'clock in the wow. morning, and we would go until eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it was an ongoing process. Yeah. But couldn't keep up with production, and and then that was when we decided to. Um, to sell the train station and move into a new facility, um, which was another customer of ours. Uh, I've been fortunate that we've uh, we had some really great contacts and connections, and my life is filled with great networking. And mm. I was uh, one of the best decisions my parents ever made was to send me to Germantown Academy, mm. and um, what a fabulous school and an amazing, amazing friendships uh, I, I built and have kept through my entire life. Absolutely. You know, the importance of that, the network of people that you know and the vast industries they are in. And if you have that kind of connection to one place, mm-hmm. it opens up doors all the time. Yeah. 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 But an amazing group that uh, I I grew up with and classmates that a lot of them entrepreneurs and, and started their own businesses. You know, um, you, so you're in the culinary industry and that actually is and was at the time probably more so very male dominated. Extremely. Yeah. yeah. And and most people don't think of it that way because, you know, you think mom's at home cooking in the kitchen, dinner, breakfast and lunch. But uh, chefs, chefs, uh, men, men, you look at Anthony Bourdain and all of the other stars, Gordon Ramsay. Now it's it's still very male dominated, but uh, women are starting to to break into it. I was definitely one of the first women around probably in the country, um, to be involved with manufacturing, which is where we ended up being with Culinary Crossing, um, manufacturing for grocery stores, restaurants, franchises around the country. And at that level. Yeah. Right, at that level. Yeah. So you mentioned your husband and you mm-hmm. were partners. Yes. And, uh, you know, there was uh, a very... I don't want to use the word pivotal, but, the, you know, a, a story there that says a lot about you and, and how you've continued to um, not only move forward, but stay in this industry that you love so much. And I'll and I'll, I'll parlay into that by saying 
um, when Dan was no longer able to be a part of the company, um, people came to you and said, Sherry, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do with this business? And how, you know, ironic that they felt that you were not really running the show and you were. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan was a a great front person. Um, Unfortunately, you know, he had a, he was an alcoholic. He had some substance abuse uh, problems. Um, He became suicidal. He, uh, it was a, it was a really, really terrible time of life for me um, and needed to just separate ourselves and he needed some serious, serious long-term help. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we ended up splitting up and he went on to get help for a long time. And um, yeah, I uh, I managed to get through it uh, because of the business. I really just buried myself in the business and moved forward. And, and friends and family and people who know us through um, through our company said, how are you going to do this without him? And, you know, Dan's response when people would say, you know, wow, you guys have really found your niche, you're doing amazing things, and, you know, you're taking this company to such incredible levels. We were really just started at that point, and uh, Dan's response was always, I married the niche, you know. So um, he knew uh, they were my recipes, and and I was uh, a lot of what was the person to, to kind of the drive to take us to the next step each time. And I think he was more intimidated by taking that step even after we took it he would, he would have problems with the adjusting. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're living with those kind of demons in your life, right, mm-hmm. it's totally separate from what you're doing um, in a marriage or in a business, you know, and, and it's a shame that that's, that's how it ended up, but it speaks to your ability to, um, you know, when those partnerships ended, that you were able to still sustain, not only sustain the, the company, but to turn around and sell it yeah. for very profitable yeah. Amount. Mm-hmm. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about Caramore Estate and what you're doing today. So stay with us for Mary Manzo for your tech watch. You're listening to Women to Watch. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch Diversity Watch. Diversity Watch. Peace be upon you all. This is Hannity with your weekly diversity segment. Have you ever watched a debate go wrong? specifically when two people start a conversation, get carried away about their own perspectives, and the whole thing becomes more like a personal attack. The truth is lost between the egos of the two people arguing. Letting go of an argument when it reaches that stage is a praised ethic in Islam. It's praised because the original intent of the conversation is lost. Quote, I guarantee a house in paradise for the one who gives up arguing, even if this person is right, end quote said Prophet Muhammad. By that is meant arguing for the sake of argument. The spirit in which debates should take place was captured beautifully by Imam Shafi'i, a great Muslim scholar and theologian, who said, I never debated anyone without being indifferent whether the truth comes out of his mouth or mine. Being selfless in manifesting the truth to the point of not caring who actually says it is almost hard to grasp. That's a conversation working for the benefit of the people listening. Argumentation hinders progress. It polarizes people. And sometimes it's intended to demean a person or their opinion. When the ego is involved, the truth is lost. Letting go and moving on towards more constructive action seems to be the next right thing to do. Performing the pilgrimage or hajj 
which is one of the most important and rewarding journeys in Islam, has among the three essential conditions in it to abandon argumentation in all its forms, arguing with others and arguing with self. Today's prophetic ethic is being constructive. Instead of arguing, let's talk. Want to carry the conversation further? Visit HanadiSpeaksOut.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. Early in my career in the 90s, I was introduced to my first role in a New Jersey-based technology company. I was brought in as the manager of all things operational as employee number six. I was one of two women in the office when I started, and as the company grew, I became very aware of how few women I encountered in the tech industry, both in the company and our customers. After 10 years, we reached our goal of $100 million in annual revenue. I had a seat on the leadership team and felt good about my contributions and thought it was time to discuss career path with my boss. His response was that unless I wanted his job, there was none. This response made me so angry, and I quickly opened my eyes. He didn't care what I wanted to do or what my goals and aspirations were, and I realized that if I wanted to advance and take my talents to the next level, I'd have to get out of my own way and reach the level of confidence needed to achieve what I wanted in a male-dominated industry. What I discovered was that all those years, I subconsciously allowed myself to be intimidated by the men around me, and if I wanted to be successful, I had to stop looking at men as men and women as women and focus more on carrying myself with the level of confidence needed to be a leader and to adjust the way I would deliver my message regardless of the audience. I realized that I needed to focus on my role and not the gender in the room. The good news is that the gender gap is closing in the tech industry because of the stories of the past and the lessons that have been learned. I think it's important to share our experiences to help young girls shape their dreams and future, whether it's in the tech industry or something else. What's your story? Email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Sherry, just before the break, you shared, you know, a very personal side a side of your story and your journey. And um, you and I had a conversation before the show, and, and you were kind of having a little bit of a revelation or seeing a crossover between what your grandmother went through and what you ended up going through with Dan. And I wonder if you could just share some insights around that. Yeah, my, my grandfather was an alcoholic. I think I had mentioned that before and, and uh, had some serious, serious problems and was getting into a lot of trouble and uh, my grandmother, you know, was the was the driving force behind their real estate company that they had. And, you know, the years when he was going through all of his therapy and AA meetings, which my father was the one that took him to weekly, um, he worked his way through it uh, um, and became a mentor to a lot of people in prison that were having alcoholism problems and got into a lot of trouble. So he beat he beat alcoholism. 
And my grandmother worked through it and built the company. Mm. So, you know, I think I dealt with it in a lot of the same manner as she did mm. um, because I saw it happening. Yeah. And and so. again, it, yeah, it's sad that um, some people are, are able to work through it and come out on the other side and some people are not. And it, yeah. ha- it has nothing to do with their character, really. No, no. And, and Dan had a lot of other issues. He had some major head injuries as a, as a young child. And, you know, they... They now they know what head injuries can do to a person long term. So between that and having and his father was an alcoholic between that and having this gene in the family, I think it was just a a combination for total self-destruction. Absolutely. Um, Let's talk about Caramore. And and how did you get that position? Uh, Well, um, I sold my company in 2013, uh, did uh, quite a bit of consulting for uh, startup companies uh, around the country. I got hooked in with different people all over the place in manufacturing and, and restaurants. And and I um, uh, have a friend from school that uh, was working with Caramore Estate, buying wine from them. And um, the woman who was selling to them was getting ready to move on uh, on her own and, and start something new just for a change. And uh, said to my girlfriend, she said, do you know anybody who might be interested in doing what I do? And and she was like, oh, my gosh, do I? <laughs> she said she would be perfect for you. Um, and it really has been a, it's a fabulous experience for me. Um, it's allowed me to use a lot of the tools and the skills that I was able to develop over the years with my own company, um, whether it's creativity, manufacturing, um, I, I know a lot about sales because I was always my own salesperson with my soup company, selling to grocery stores around the country and franchises and everything. So the networking that's all involved, the event planning that I've done. Um, it's, There's a lot it's of just, moving parts. Yeah, there are a lot of moving parts. And I've been involved in the hospitality, uh, food industry in almost every genre you can imagine. For the listeners who are not familiar with Caramore and and how that came to be, just a quick, you know, snippet about uh, Nick and Athena and yes. their story. So the Carabots uh, have a fabulous um, estate. It's I I refer to it as going to France without the airfare every day. It's it's uh, <laughs> very be- true. It's between Fort Washington, Bluebell, Ambler area. It's almost three zip codes on the property. It's 250 acres. They have 27 acres of vinifera, which are the um, noble grapes of Europe. Um, and um, we manufacture, there's a, a fabulous winemaker by the name of Kevin Robinson there who graduated from UC Davis and worked with Rutherford Hill for a long time, um, who's done a, a fabulous job making some world-class wines. That was their goal. Uh, Mr. Carabots grew up in the Bronx, Mrs. Carabots in Connecticut. They both are from Greece. Uh, they, Mr. Caravat's family had a restaurant that shut down during the depression. And at the age of nine, he started working in Union Square to help support the family shining shoes. Mm. Um, and then grew up in the printing and publishing business and, uh, developed and grew probably one of the largest printing and publishing companies in the country. Mm-hmm. And, um, decided that he, he bought this property in Bluebell, Fort Washington and started joint, uh, purchasing the adjoining properties. And to the point that he had the 250 acres, continued farming them. They were all farms, continued farming them for a very long time until early 2000. 
and decided that he wasn't getting his money out of the labor. And if he was going to lose money, he was going to lose it big. Let's put in vineyards. Let's put <laughs> in something not? I love. In Pennsylvania, in of Pennsylvania. all places. Yeah. yeah. So he brought in a woman by the name of Lucy Morton, one of the top viticulturists in the company. Worked with her for about three years. She did the the um, design, the engineering of the vineyards. And um, yeah, so now they're 12 or 13 years into it. And um, world-class wines, absolutely delicious and amazing products that and, they have there. And, and I'm fortunate enough to be... Take, you know, doing their sales and their marketing and their events. They have a beautiful venue there, um, a private wine tasting room, and we're in the process of building a public tasting room that we expect to open sometime, hopefully November, December, January, sometime in that time. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm excited for that as well. But, you know, I'm a neighbor. I'm a yeah. neighbor to this magnificent property. <laughs> um, I want to share a quote. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that the difference between acceptable and exceptional are in the details. Mm-hmm. And certainly that is important, that belief, that philosophy for what you do. And, you know, really the work that you're doing encompasses so many different things, sales and manufacturing and uh, and marketing to finance, to HR, dealing with people, both in your with your company and what you're doing today. Tell me what's hard for you. What do you kind of dread? Oh, and, and what do you love? I dread the paperwork. Okay. When I had my own company, it was the USDA that I worked with uh, on a daily basis. It's very, um, it's a lot of work. And the good part of what I love, what I do is the constant people contact. Um, I love being creative. I've, I always have ideas. I'm a little bit of a dreamer, um, but I'm, I'm very logistical um, and efficient. And I, I just... I just love what I do. And I'm working with people who are very philanthropic, which I also enjoy. Mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of that when I had my own company with Ronald McDonald House, The Gift of Life, um, Habitat for Humanity, Phil Abundance, you know, all of them. And so I love helping people doing things and making things beautiful, making by the things way. beautiful, presentation. Yes. And it's presentation with relationships, with visual, with food, mm-hmm. um, the wine, setting events up. So it, it's all about making all of those experience exceptional for people, not just acceptable. Yeah. Like and, and dotting and your I's and crossing your T's. Are you are you hard on yourself if it doesn't go right? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm gonna help you with that. <laughs> because you shouldn't be. You're doing a fabulous job. Thank um, you. last bit of advice for a listener who might be a woman looking to, you know, career change, just from a confidence standpoint, you know, having the courage to try something new. Change, change is not your enemy. Change is hard, but it's not your enemy. Um, uh, Gosh, somebody just uh, said something to me that really um, resonated with me. And um, being accountable and taking responsibility for things doesn't mean that things are your fault. Mm -hmm. So learn how to grow and move forward with different things in life. um, Because just take responsibility for them and build off of them. Yeah. It's more interesting, right? It makes life more exciting. Yeah. Shari, thanks so much for coming in and Thank sharing you, your I'm, story. I'm thrilled to have been here. I really appreciate it's it. It's a great thanks. conversation. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you so much to my sponsors and advertisers for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.